Hi, welcome to Hormone Zone. I'm Sabrina Mason. And I'm Jane Sagwe. And we are the co-hosts of this podcast and the co-founders of a women's health company, Polly, that is focused on PCOS. And this month we are recording in September. It is PCOS Awareness Month, which is a very, very exciting time for Polly. Um, I think that it's it's such an important month for us, obviously, because this is the condition that we're focused on, but just even more broadly speaking, the fact that PCOS impacts 10% of the female population and over 50% of cases are still going undiagnosed. It very, very clearly needs an awareness month. And so we're going to be spending some time today talking about stigma and shame and embarrassment and PCOS. Um, We'll get into that. I think it's a really interesting topic. And I think that almost everyone that has a PCOS diagnosis has dealt with some of those feelings at one point or another. But first, Sabrina, how are you doing? Let's let's catch up. I am good. I am just recovering from a cold, as you know, luckily not COVID. Um, But that was, I haven't had a cold in like three years. And so it was a little bit of a tough one for me. Yeah, I know you sounded, she sounds a lot better today. Everyone that she sounded (laughs) last week, you were sounding not so great. I felt bad. (laughs) I know I was very, very hoarse. I have read that apparently colds are stronger now. I don't know how factual that is. So no one quote me, but just with not being exposed to many things over the past two years that they can impact you in a harsher way. Again, I do not have the science to back that up, but I've seen musings about that. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense just logically thinking, I thought I was getting a cold. I was just at a wedding this past weekend and it was very fun and I wasn't sleeping a lot and did not feel so hot the past few days, but I seem, I feel, I feel pretty normal today. I'm okay. (laughs) It makes, it makes a difference. It's very easy for our bodies to get run down. Yeah, no, it really is. Well, should we get into it? Should we get into the topic? We can. So we're going to be talking about, well, like you said, it's PCOS awareness month, but we're going to be talking about stigma in general and kind of relating that back to PCOS. But I think obviously stigma is very prevalent in any sort of chronic condition. Um, Obviously there's stigma around other things as well, but we wanted to focus on this because PCOS is still a pretty stigmatized condition, which is definitely not okay and should not be the norm. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think just in terms of the PCOS symptoms that a lot of people deal with, the most common one, of course, is having irregular periods or absent periods slash ovulation. That is something that can make it difficult for people to get pregnant. And I think that although obviously not everyone with PCOS identifies as a woman, but a majority of PCOSers do identify as being a woman or female. And it it can be really defeminizing to feel like you're not able to get pregnant. And I think that a lot of feelings of being defective and, and being less than come up. And then even just in the more, I call it like with air quotes, superficial symptoms, or just the more like outward facing symptoms that might impact your day-to-day more. So thinking about like acne and female pattern hair loss and hirsutism, which is growing male pattern hair on your face or chest or butt. Um, all of that stuff is also very defeminizing. And so I think that there's, there's a lot of like societal norms for like what a woman quote unquote should be. And, and a lot of PCOS symptoms 
make people feel like they're falling outside those norms. And that can bring up a lot of really difficult feelings. And I, I think it's great that like people are talking about it more often now. Um, but for years, decades, hundreds of years, even, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe even longer than that, it, it, the symptoms that people deal with are just not fun because it makes you feel different, I think. Yeah. And we're going to talk about, we're going to jump into kind of how you've dealt with this, I guess, over time, because for those of you who don't know, Jane has PCOS. We've talked about her diagnosis story before in a past episode. And so I think that's a good place for us to jump in. Jane is, is starting to understand if, if you've kind of gone through this over time and, and how you feel about it. So we can, we can jump right into that. And so I'll start, I guess, maybe with just asking you, do you feel like uh, there is stigma around PCOS? Like, have have you felt that personally before? Yeah, I've definitely felt it personally before. Um, like Sabrina just mentioned, I was diagnosed with PCOS myself. It was around 10 years ago when I was in college. We, we go through it on a previous episode of the podcast that we will link. And, and I know that Sabrina just said that, but in case you want more details on that diagnosis journey, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, I, I think when I was first diagnosed, that was really when like the stigma and shame was the worst for me. And the biggest thing that I was concerned about at that point in time was that I was losing a lot of my hair and a lot of that hair is like grown back. But at the time it was like very much so like one of my like defining characteristics and the entire experience was like a really important lesson for me to not like define myself and think of my defining characteristics as physical parts of my body. Um, but I was 18, you know, and I, I didn't have like the wherewithal or perspective to think about myself in in a way that didn't include these like physical attributes. And so the hair loss is really big for me. And then I think that another thing was like the fear of infertility in the future. And like a lot of other people with PCOS, especially when you're diagnosed at a younger age, there's very little discussion over like why there are fertility implications or like ways of managing those fertility implications. The conversation is more just kind of like, you'll probably have difficulty getting pregnant, come back or see a fertility specialist if you get to that point. But there's nothing to do about it or worry about it now. Um, and like, in my experience, I learned that that's like very much so not the case, but being told those words at like 18 years old is really difficult. And so I think that those are like two things that I really like internalized. And then just like in general, this like feeling of being defective, I felt like super, super defective, uh, was not able to like talk to any of my friends about this. I just felt very like embarrassed and ashamed for having this sort of issue, even though no one that has PCOS, it's none of your faults. It's not none of our faults. Um, it's just something that your body is going through. And I think that that was really tough at the time. And like, as I've gotten older and gotten more perspective and like started to like define myself in a different way, it's been helpful. And it's also been helpful, um, totally transparently, the fact that like my symptoms have gotten much less severe and I really wasn't able to talk about the PCOS itself until my symptoms got less severe. I don't, I don't know that that would be the case today. If like the symptoms were to get really bad again, I think I would probably talk about them pretty openly because I talk about PCOS like all day long. Um, but like, at least when I was like in kind of like that late college, early adulthood phase from like 20 to 23 ish years old, the symptoms started improving. And then like, that's kind of when I started to open up more about it. Um, I know that was a ramble. Sabrina. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. And so I think, well, thank you for sharing that because I know obviously 
it's very personal and it's, it can be, we, we obviously talk about personal stuff all the time on this podcast, but I think it can be hard to reflect on some of that stuff and bring back moments of feeling like a different person. And I know that was a hard, a hard time in your life to navigate, but it sounds like basically over time in college, that was where you really felt the most, I guess, internalized stigma. We can start with that. Yeah. And then over the years until early adulthood, your symptoms started to decrease. And that's when you started to have less like internal stigma. Is there anything looking back like that you would tell yourself now, or you would say to anyone who's 18 and going through this of how to approach feeling that sort of internal stigma? Yeah. I think that it's really important for us as like a society to move away from getting self-worth from our physical appearance. Um, and I know that's like a really difficult thing to start doing, especially if like, you're totally not ready for that yet. Um, and I'm not like a therapist or a mental health professional. And so like, I'm in no place to like sit on a stand on a soapbox and tell people yeah. to do that. But I do think that like, maybe even like changing your social media consumption so that you're following more like body neutral accounts or even body positive accounts of like that resonates with you. Um, and like, just kind of like immersing yourself and surrounding yourself with like media and even people who care more about like some substantial things that are not just like external appearance focus. I think that that is really helpful. And I think it can take years. Like for me, that process literally took years. I didn't really do it super consciously, I will say. And I think that there's like so much more information out there on like body neutrality and, and self-worth and stuff like that, that maybe could make that process a little bit quicker, but it'll probably take years. <laughs> yeah. I think and I mean, it's like so ingrained. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. And I was, I was just going to say, I mean, this was, it wasn't quite 10 years ago, but this was almost 10 yeah. years ago, which is yeah. a, a long time. Um, yeah. And so hopefully there, there has been, I think there has been some progress across social media, but it's, it's challenging. And I think, I mean, one of the things you mentioned is that you had a hard time talking to anyone about PCOS or having any sort of say it was any other chronic condition at that age, do you think you were, were you like, were you mainly ashamed of having it? Or did you think that people would have some sort of like external reaction and like look down on you in a certain way? Like, do you remember what that thought was for you of not wanting to be as open at the time? Yeah. I think like with strangers, it was more about feeling like, people would look down on me or like, yeah. or like look at me and be like, Oh God, like what is wrong with her with like close friends? I think that I had some paranoia about like them pitying me. Um, in like reality, I would say that like all my friends and family that I told about my PCOS, even like years and years ago, and I still was not super comfy talking about it. None of them really pitied me. They just kind of listened. And that's like a fortunate thing. I know that not everyone's in that position. And then I found that like strangers can kind of fall more into like the pitying boat. I will say that like, I absolutely like hate the reaction of pity. (laughs) It's it's like really irritating. It's a bad feel. Yeah. It makes you feel, well, it makes you feel like you are like your self-worth is less when you're pitied in, in a certain way. Yeah. So I, I definitely get that. Yeah. Um, and in terms, or were you going to say something else? I kind of heard, did, did you, did you ask any more to that question? No, I think (laughs) I suppose that was something else. (laughs) No, no, you don't, you you do not have to. I wasn't sure if you, if you had another thought, Jane and I are, are, virtual today. And so sometimes it's harder during these recordings. Um, (laughs) I I was going to ask, so we've talked about 
like obviously like internalized stigma mainly did you feel like at the time or across any time this doesn't have to be in college honestly this could be now um that there was external stigma and so thinking about anything from like friends or providers you talked about this a little with strangers but what did that look like for you and has that changed over time yeah you know I think like from external stigma I I just mentioned like my family and friends were always like so supportive and like none of this like ever really freaked them out that much and I think that for me that was really helpful I think that like external stigma from family and friends that was probably like one of the most difficult places to get stigma from um and I, I think like the one thing I would say that like maybe kind of falls into this bucket would be like early dating with PCOS and especially mm. like in college right out of college it was something that, like I did not speak about as I've gotten older it's something that I've brought up like relatively like soon when I'm dating someone I mean with Polly it's like impossible not to bring it up um it would be like sociopathic honestly for yes me. yeah for me to say that I have PCOS and they'll find it on Google anyway uh and I think that like I I, I still think that the the conversations that I've had like in going on like early dates with people when I'm getting to know them that has mostly been in the past few years um because like when I was like in between the ages of like 18 and 23 not that I even like went on them actually my senior year of college I got really into app dating but that's irrelevant didn't bring PCOS (laughs) up at all with them but I think that like dating and relationships with a condition that is like fertility or like relevant to your fertility I think that that's like particularly difficult um yeah I I I think that like the healthcare provider piece is really interesting. That's like a really big one that people with PCOS struggle with. I have lean PCOS. I'm not insulin resistant. I think that my symptoms were always more catalyzed by like stress and inflammation and possibly even genetics. Um, So I experienced a lot of like going into doctor's appointments and saying I had PCOS and either like the doctor being like, well, it seems like it's controlled or like, you don't look like you have PCOS, uh, you must be fine. And I think that that's like a really, really frustrating thing. The flip side of things is if you're in a larger body and you have PCOS, whether or not that's because of insulin resistance or just because you have a, you're in a larger body. Um, the other big thing that people hear a lot of the time is like symptoms being completely dismissed and just being told to lose weight. And I think that like, that is like just as, if not more painful than the stuff that I went through. And it's, it's really, really, um, invalidating and super effed up. <laughs> and yeah. I think, that, and, and it's just like, it's, it's like these healthcare providers are people that should be helping us. And, and the fact that people get told that they're just fat and need to lose weight and that'll fix all their problems, or then they'll be able to get pregnant. Um, it, it's just really, really horrible. And we need to be better than that. Yeah, no, it's, it's terrible. And obviously race gets into this as well. There can be stigma again, depending on what race you are. And it's, it's really unfortunate. And there is an education problem in part on the provider side. There's not a lot of training around like cultural competency or, you know, how to approach uh, a patient who is in a larger body or any of that, that's not really covered in medical training. And so I think there's like a huge education component that could be worked on, but also at the end of the day, people should be treated like humans and that doesn't always happen. Um, and that's like you said, it's, it's very fucked up to put it bluntly, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, thinking about like over the years, again, you've been dealing with this for almost a decade. So what has really, you've talked about this a little, but what do you think has helped you overcome the stigma that you have felt around PCOS the most over the past handful of years? 
I really think there are a few things there. And the first I would say is educating myself pretty extensively. That's like a double-edged sword. I don't think that like every person with PCOS must like become like a mini expert in their condition just to get better care and to feel like not othered or or like less than. Um, For me, it really helps. A lot of our goal with Polly though, is to make it so that like the stigma just isn't there and like the support is there and, and you don't need to become an expert yourself. But for me, that helps. And I think that that education kind of let me get to a place where I then started to like reframe what PCOS was in my head. And like the fact that it's a spectrum disorder, um, you can have a mild case, you can have a severe case, you can like vacillate between mild and severe throughout the course of your life or even hop off this diagnostic spectrum. Uh, that is because there are many causes is a PCOS and it's not like the same cause for everybody. And I think that like that reframing was like another really, really helpful thing for me. And it was really only possible through educating myself. Um, because without educating myself, it just seemed like this like disease, like a fertility disease that I had. And that's just not what PCOS is. And then I think that a third thing is talking about it. And again, that was something that I wasn't able to do until I was ready to do it. And I wasn't ready to do it until my symptoms started improving that by no means means that people shouldn't start talking about their PCOS until their symptoms are improving. It's more just like me recognizing the fact that like, I, I I think that like, we all need to do that on our own time and it's completely understandable, but I do think it helps. And I think that be, maybe be careful and who you start telling to start with, um, talk with people that you feel like super, super safe around and have a very high intuition or like just no period that they'll respond positively don't go telling some like uncle of yours who voted for trump and thinks that like women are second class citizens because he probably will just <laughs> not make you feel good etc uh were, were you gonna say something yeah like no i was gonna say it's important to surround yourself with with people that yeah. feel supportive if you can and not everyone has yeah, those people around them. And I think finding other outlets like communities online can be a really good way to approach Definitely. that if you feel like you don't have people in your immediate, in your immediate kind of life. circle. Yeah. Yeah. Who can yeah. help. Yeah. Reddit, Instagram, um, et cetera. It, 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 they're all really good sources for finding people. And you can also be anonymous, you know, and I obviously, yeah. if you're if you're talking to people from your main Insta account, it's not going to be anonymous, but you can like make a Reddit burner account. You can make an Finsta and you can have like complete anonymity, which is pretty great. Uh, and so, yeah, I think those are like all the big ones. I love one fourth thing I would say is just educating other people. And that's something that like I'm doing today and you're doing today, Sabrina, also with Polly. Mm-hmm. And I just think that like that has ripped away like whatever stigma was kind of left for me just because I I think that it's it's really just like an extension of talking to other people and finding community um but there's like a sense of purpose there and just like a sense of connection and that like that like just just being empathetic and like hearing what other people have gone through and like been told and like how afraid other people may be or how frustrated other people may be and being able to like come at things with like actual like research and information and explaining that like well this is really tough and I completely understand that it's really tough uh the fact is that you're not like 100% infertile like there are probably a lot of things that you can do to help you have a biological family. Um, or you are not going to 
be sentenced to have acne for the rest of your life. And like, there's like, there's expectation setting. And obviously like some symptoms may never go away. Complications may arise down the line, but, but there's a lot that can be done to manage PCOS. Yeah. And I think, I mean, like you said, it, it really is personal, but I feel like for you, if your symptoms were to come raging back at this point, I feel like your mindset would be very different than 10 years ago, just in terms of at least like your internal thoughts about yourself, which can, can really contribute, um, to just how, like how you feel in general. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I guess, should we, should we switch topics a little bit away, away from you now and get more into stigma in general? I know we we put you in the hot seat a little bit. Yeah, no, I I like being in the hot seat, Uh, (laughs) but, but but yeah, let's actually like talk about what stigma is. Cause like we, we throw that word around so much. I think it's like important for people to like, have like a better understanding of how it impacts our health, especially like with chronic conditions and lucky for us, Sabrina has her MPH. She has her master's in public health and she's our resident public health expert. So she knows all about this. <laughs> I do. I do. We talked a lot about stigma in a lot of my public health courses, but I think just to get started kind of as we've talked about, there's, there's a ton of research that really shows that people with chronic health conditions deal with stigma and shame and embarrassment to a disproportionate extent. And obviously everyone can deal with that. But when you look at the chronic condition space, you really see a lot of stigma and a variety of conditions. Obviously we've been talking about PCOS, but there's so many other ones and none of them are invalid. They all should not be stigmatized. Like I want to make that obviously very clear up front. And the issue with stigma is that it really can impact not only your quality of life, but also health outcomes and can really delay care for individuals. And so that's where it starts to get scary when you actually think about the impact that stigma, not just that you might feel towards yourself, but that others can project onto you can actually make your condition a lot worse and um, really cause like unintended consequences. And so we'll get into a little bit of the research, but to take a step back first, there's a few different frameworks of how you can think about stigma in general. And so one that we'll use, we can link the study down below, really just talks about the different types of stigma. And I think you'll see as I go through this, that we just talked about this with everything in Jane's experience. So we can kind of relate it back to her. And so the first thing when thinking about stigma is there's internalized stigma. And so those are really, it's the extent to which people endorse negative beliefs and feelings um, about their self. And so thinking about like that feeling of shame or guilt or low self-worth. And that's kind of Jane, that's like a lot of what I feel like your stigma was at the time. Again, we talked about kind of your privilege, but I feel like most of it really was this like internalized stigma about yourself. Would you agree with that? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that, I mean, I'm going to bring up the UTIs again. That's something that yeah, I feel free. Like, yeah. That's something that I've been dealing with or I, a little bit less so now, but I think as I was going through that in therapy was doing a lot of work around like the internalized stigma of like, again, feeling defective. And like, that's something that like, has kind of like been a thing for me throughout the course of my life that really started with PCOS. <laughs> and I, I didn't yeah. have a therapist at that time when I was in early college, I think it would have like helped tremendously. Um, but I, I just think it's important to call out that like, while I don't feel any stigma about like my PCOS specifically, there's some important things there. Like I don't qualify for the PCOS diagnosis anymore. I can kind of like 
detach myself from my identity with that. But as soon as like something was happening with my urinary tract, which is like, obviously not your reproductive system, but still like feels very like female in nature. A lot of those feelings came like bubbling right back up. And so it's really hard to work through and process that kind of shit, I would say. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, obviously something you just mentioned that's important is you, you had professional help for that. And I think that can be something that can be really powerful of going down that path. If you can, if it's covered by your insurance, or if you can afford it out of pocket of trying to find a mental health professional who can help you kind of work through those feelings of self-doubt or feeling like, again, to your point, having these UTIs, like how to kind of process that information, because it obviously can be really hard to process that alone. Definitely. Sorry for derailing us. No, we we obviously talk about the UTIs on pretty much every episode. And so we'll see yeah. if we continue to do so. Um, it's kind of like a game, Jane, like spot and like you know, spot when we talk about a UTI. Um, so the next type of, of stigma in this framework, so we just talked about internalized, is experienced. And so that's the extent to which people perceive that they have actually experienced stereotyping or different prejudice or discrimination that's directed at them from others. And so Jane, in your example, it sounds like in general, thinking of a healthcare setting, this wasn't something that you experienced a ton, but it's really common, like you said. And so this could be an example of going into a doctor and being blamed by the provider for say being overweight or being denied access to care, like insurance or different services because of having a mental health issue, or again, because of being in a larger body. It also can lead to lower quality of care. And so that's been found in a ton of research as well, that women of color um, tend to get lower quality care in a variety of settings. I mean, when you think about like the maternal mortality rate and things like that, that all goes back to prejudice. And that's been proven over and over again. And so that experience stigma happens a lot. Again, Jane, we talked about we're we're very privileged in terms of kind of our our race being white women that we we haven't experienced it a ton ourselves, but we hear stories over and over again. And that can be really, really hard. I don't know if you have anything else to add about experience stigma. Yeah, no, I mean, I would say that I don't. And that comes from like me being in a privileged place, like Sabrina was just kind of mentioning like I'm I am white I came from like my my family that I grew up in had enough money to like be paying out of pocket for me at these healthcare experiences going through for like these doctors and specialists and stuff um I was like going to a good university that I only got into because I was raised in like a a family that was able to pay for my schooling and and make sure that I was like prioritizing that. Um, and so I was going into doctor's appointments and I was being taken more seriously, I think for that reason. And like, none of that is fair. And then the other thing I would say is that, like I mentioned, I'm in like a thinner body. I have thin privilege and that's like another really big one. And, and I think that there's a lot of, a lot of stigma that happens on like a race, socioeconomic, and then like body types. yeah like physical attributes of like what you I mean thinking of thinner and larger bodies but there's definitely other factors to that as well um which is I mean it's it's really sad when you start to break it down in that way and and think about that and again from my perspective I've had a variety of uh, health 
things over time, my father's a doctor. And so I was always really lucky because we had access to incredible networks of like physicians that we, you know, I was able to get into anything right away, which is just like a whole another thing in itself that a lot of people don't have access to. Um, and so anyways, we'll, we'll get into like a few examples of that, but basically this combined, um, when you think about this from a combined like perspective of thinking about the internalized stigma, as well as the experience stigma, this can really lead to, um, basically the, the third type of stigma, which is anticipated stigma. And so this is basically the extent to which people expect to experience stereotyping or prejudice or discrimination directed at them from others in the future. And so the difference when thinking about anticipated is basically like in your mind, before you even go into, say, a healthcare setting, you're already thinking that this provider is going to dismiss you. Say you're in a larger body you don't want to go into this healthcare setting because you think that the provider is going to say to you, you know, you're just overweight, you need to lose the weight and then all your symptoms will be better, whatever it is. And so that anticipated stigma can be really, really powerful. And that's really like a a learned stigma that you have ingrained in your mind from a mix of that internalized and experienced stigma. Jane, does that make sense as the final type? Yeah, no, it does make sense. And I think it's really important to like for people to like learn what this is and just like put a name to it because I think that like the awareness like what anticipated stigma is and also internal and external stigma it can help you be more aware of like crappy feelings as you're feeling them at the time um yeah. and I think like having a word for like the things that you're experiencing even if you're not at the place where like you're ready to like change any like behaviors or like make any big changes I, I think it just makes things like the teensiest bit, at least easier to get through. I don't know. Do you, do you agree? No, with that? I, yeah, okay. I agree entirely. I think you can, you can acknowledge like when you're having certain thoughts, you can say to yourself, okay, this is something I've internalized and is a negative thought I have about myself that I need to work on, or I have experienced stigma in these settings, or I'm anticipating that I'm going to experience it, even though I haven't experienced it yet. I think that is powerful because it can help direct your thought patterns. Um, And basically, I mean, when you think about all three of these types of stigma combined, what can happen is that they can act as barriers to accessing care. And that can ultimately contribute to undermining your quality of life, which can ultimately contribute to worse health outcomes. And so that's kind of like, when you think of the funnel, that's kind of like how how it can start. And I think we, we have a good example that I'll walk through. That's from a research study, um, that is focused around, uh, it was a pretty large sample size. I don't have the the sample size in front of me, but basically was looking at, uh, a number of, of women who were in larger bodies. And so they were looking at obese women who I think it was measured by a certain BMI, BMI we can get into if we believe in that, uh, accuracy of a measure, which we should do an an episode on in itself. But again, I'm just reading what the the researchers did here. And so basically they were looking at a large sample of obese women, um, that was a mix of white women and black women that had a higher BMI. And they basically found that they had significantly lower rates of accessing preventative care, like pap smears, pelvic exams, and mammograms. 
Um, they also looked at the percent of women who had insurance in this group. And so 90% of the women in this study had health insurance. And so essentially you can use that as a proxy because all of those services are covered by insurance because they're preventative. So there's really no, there, there is no reason why no one should, well, there are a few reasons, obviously like transportation and things like that. But in terms of like thinking about just the raw spend, there's, there's no cost for those services. And so they were able to kind of rule out that that could be a reason why they were seeing these lower rates of accessing care in women who had higher BMIs. And so what they concluded was that the main causes of delaying or not receiving these preventative care services in this population was really related to stigma. And so it related back to, um, again, those things that we just talked about, kind of that internalized experience and anticipated stigma. So thinking about um, maybe having like been disrespected in the past by providers or having some sort of negative experience in the past or receiving like unsolicited advice or internalized stigma of being really embarrassed about being overweight or being worried about what the provider is going to say. And that essentially led this group of women to access care less. And again, back to that funnel, when that happens, quality of life can decrease and health outcomes can decrease. And so I think this is like a good, again, clear-cut example. Obviously, there could be other reasons, but it's a pretty strong case for how stigma can really limit access to care. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's like, it's really crazy. And we will, like Sabrina mentioned, we'll put the study in the show notes so that you can take a look at that if you want. Um, and it's like completely understandable, I would say too, because if you're, if, if you're experiencing stigma, there's fear around getting that healthcare or that medical care, whatever you want to call it. And if you're afraid, you're not going to do it. And, and, it's, yeah. <laughs> and even if you're not registering it as fear, I think that like reluctance to go to the doctor a lot of the times probably is fear because there have been negative experiences at, at some point. And, and it's, again, I don't know, like we were saying earlier, it's just not acceptable. And so that's, it's a really important thing, I think, for our healthcare system to work on. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like you said, I mean, think about it. You are supposed to go in for a routine pap smear and you know that this provider is going to go on and on about how you haven't lost weight. Like, why would you want to go in for that? Like it, it makes a ton of sense and it's, it's terrible and it ultimately has a really big impact. And this has been like proven again and again and again in the research. Um, and we're, we're in like a very similar place, if not like worse, I don't know, not worse, but like we're in the same place as we were, I feel like the past, however many years you want to say, and that's, uh, can be really frustrating, but we're going to talk about tips for ending stigma. And again, this isn't, this isn't like Jane and I are not going to be able to solve this obviously, but we have some ideas and tips. And again, we're for PCOS specifically, we're focused on education and awareness. And that's like a key piece of, of trying to help with this, but obviously there's a lot of moving parts. So Jane, maybe we can start with sharing a few tips of how we like to think about, uh, addressing this. Yeah. Um, so the first one that I would say is going to be reframing. And I mentioned this earlier and with PCOS specifically, the reframing was, was very centered on the fact that like PCOS is not a disease. I I think it's even like, we call it a condition a lot at poly. I think it's fine to call it a condition, but it's, it's kind of even like a, a funky condition because it's something that you can make less 
severe and even go away or like go into like remission or something. I don't know what we want to call it. And I know that this doesn't necessarily apply to like all chronic conditions. Um, some, some conditions that people are diagnosed with are diseases. And I, I'm not going to get into like the actual, like definitional differences between those two words, but I think in any case, just like reframing is important. I think that like, there's another layer of reframing that applies to like any sort of health issue, which is that it's not a part of your identity. It's a thing that your body is experiencing and, and thinking about like separating identity from your physical body. I know it's really hard. It takes a lot of work. Um, there's also like a big part of like the the union of like mind and body that is like very beautiful and so I know it's like kind of like two seemingly contradictory things uh being true at the same time but I I just think that that reframing is really important yeah absolutely and the the next one that we have on our list is talking about it which obviously that's what we do Jane you share your story all the time we're talking about it constantly in the context of, of PCOS and other hormonal health conditions on Polly's account but talking about these things is really a way to end stigma. And you see that we've talked about, we have an episode on Reddit and different types of community platforms, really connecting with other people and sharing your experiences can really help. And also just educating the general public that these conditions should not be stigmatized. And I know like the talk about it one is like, I feel like that's what's always said, but honestly, it really does make a difference um, and can be really impactful. And so if you're comfortable, continue to share with others. Again, like Jane said earlier in this episode, you can start by being anonymous in some sort of those platforms, but just sharing, finding a sense of community if you can. And then also if you're able to advocate on a broader level and talk more openly can be really powerful, not just for yourself, but also for, of course, anyone else who's going through this. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, the next one that we've got is holds healthcare providers to higher standards. And I know this is, this is one that is like a privileged thing to say. I think like if, if you don't have access to other healthcare providers, if you don't feel safe around the healthcare providers that you do have access to, um, you don't need to do this, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it's for people who feel safe in their current situation and, or have the means to access different providers. Um, and there's a few ways to do this, you know, I mean, like one is just going into appointments prepared, especially if you've gotten the vibe that your physician or, or provider, whatever type of provider they are, might not be like totally up to date with best in class PCOS practices. I've gone into doctor's appointments with like literal research before. And like some doctors have brushed this off. Some have been really receptive to it. Obviously we want the latter. <laughs> if they're not showing the latter, I think like, then it kind of gets into like, is switching doctors a possibility? And, and obviously I'm not saying that you should switch doctors every single time something a little bit annoying happens or every single time they like push back on something you say they are trained medical professionals. And like, there's a line between a doctor not listening to you and not doing tests or running tests that they should, or not knowing treatments that you should be trying out versus someone who might be just like completing the standard of care and maybe things that you're bringing in do not align with the latest research, et cetera. Um, I know I'm really rambling. I'm sorry. But if you're just repeatedly being met with like a bad attitude or disrespect from your doctor, and if you have the means to do so, maybe just switch physicians. And, and I think that this kind of just gets into like 
put your money and slash like your insurance company's money into providers who are meeting your expectations and, and helping you. Um, and that's like kind of a miniature little form of protest. It shouldn't be up to like us as individuals to do that, but it's, it's something. And I think that just like working with a provider who's at least receptive to like learning and like open to doing different things, even if they're not like the best PCOS specialist in the world that can really make all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's really important to call out. And then the last one that we have is if, again, this is, this is something you not feel like you, like you should not feel like you have to be an advocate for every person who has PCOS or whatever condition. But if you do feel like you want to get more involved in systemic issues, you can get involved in terms of like advocacy. So thinking about for PCOS specifically, there's the the PCOS challenge group, which is great in terms of thinking about advocacy and really um, fighting for like additional research and awareness and education. And so again, that might not be your calling to get involved on that sort of level, but there always is that option that can also come with um, if you're able to financial donations or it can come with volunteering or finding ways to share, spend your time or share your story. There's a lot of different ways. I think another thing on a systemic level is thinking about provider education and ways to, to advocate at a policy level for, um, all medical schools, you know, incorporating certain standards to education that really are about like, uh, fighting stigma and thinking about cultural competent care and things like that. And so there's a lot of ways you can get involved on a higher level. Again, the average person is probably not going to want to do this, but that is an option if you feel really passionately about it um, to get more involved. And so I think like a combination of these things or just picking one of these things can really help um, not only for yourself with thinking about ending stigma that you might have internalized, but also again for others. And it's a, I don't know, it's a, it's a tough journey, Jane. I don't know if you have any other thoughts in general. It's a, it's a tricky topic, but we're hoping that we can, we can help to start to change kind of the stigma that exists for PCOS. There's a ton of other companies doing that today, which we're excited about um, as well. And hopefully we can make a change in the future. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I, I don't have any like other specific thoughts. I think that everything that Sabrina just closed with is really Perfect. This is typically how we end our Zoom calls, by the way, is we just keep repeating what the other one has said. Um, but I, I I think that in terms of like taking advantage of this month, since like more media outlets are focusing on PCOS, more people are talking about PCOS in general, it is really important to get the word out there. And so we hope this was helpful. If you or anyone in your life has PCOS and you think that this would be helpful for them, please send it to them and reach out to us if anyone has any questions where our team is very responsive, still a small team and still a pretty early product, but we love talking to people and just hearing about like your experiences, because it's something that we're honestly obsessed with in, in like the sort of product that we're trying to build. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's all we have for this episode. Um, so feel free to, to share it. Like Jane said, like subscribe, all of the things, and we will talk to everyone next time. Thanks. Bye.